imagine this. Over 2,000 years ago, a baby named Jesus was born. They called him Emmanuel, which means God with us. But guess what? It's not just an old story. It's your story for today. God's not some faraway thing. He's not just for special people or back in the old days. That baby born in Bethlehem, he's still right here with us now. We're on a journey this Christmas from the stable to today. And we're celebrating the daily presence of the King of Peace. He's the one turning our dark days into light. He's now and forever, the beginning and end. He's Emmanuel, God with us. We believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Let's remember this part of God's story from Matthew chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after this, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Thank you, Tim and Isaac. appreciate your reading. In our house, there is a rule. It's a rule that cannot be violated. No Christmas until after Thanksgiving. <laughs> no celebrating Christmas until after we finish celebrating Thanksgiving. There's no music, no Christmas music allowed on the radio. There's no Christmas movies to be watched on TV. There's no decorating inside or outside of the house. There's no Christmas until after Thanksgiving. Now, in most families, the rules are made by the parents, right? But in this case, this rule is made by our daughter, Bethany. And Bethany is vigilant. If the Christmas song comes on the radio, she insists that we change the station. There's no putting up stockings or Christmas tree. She even shakes her head in disbelief if one of our neighbors would put the Christmas lights up too early. This has led to a lot of funny moments in our family. It's also led, I think, to a greater anticipation for Advent. 
I anticipate Advent in a way that I hadn't for years. Now, Advent is a season of anticipation. We are anticipating the coming Messiah. And so in a real way, in our house, we anticipate the anticipation. It's caused me to wonder about the anticipation for that first Christmas morning. Remember, God's people have been waiting for hundreds of years for that promised Messiah. 700 years had passed from the prophet Isaiah's words and tell the birth of Jesus. And Jesus, and, and God had been silent for 400 years since he last spoke to his people through the prophet Malachi. But can you imagine the, the anticipation for the people involved in that morning itself? Can you imagine the anticipation for Mary and Joseph? They were waiting for the birth of their son, the, the son that had been told to them, told about to them by the angel. Imagine the thoughts that are running through their heads. How can Mary be pregnant? She's never been with a man. And how do you get pregnant through the Holy Spirit? And we're going to call him Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins? And what's this about? He'll be known as and called Emmanuel, which means God with us. These are wonderfully confusing questions. Questions that become all the more wonderful as we discover the answers to them. This is the first Sunday in Advent. And this year, as we journey through Advent, we're going to focus on those angels' words to Joseph. Those words telling Joseph they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The Gospel of John focuses on the with us nature of God. Speaks to the, the, the with us nature of Jesus. In John chapter 1, we read the word, which is Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. One, God, one commentator spoke about Jesus dwelling with us by painting a word picture of Jesus setting up his tent in the middle of our neighborhood. The reference is to that tent, that tabernacle that God had his people set up in the middle of their camp, in the middle, midst of their wilderness wandering. That tent was a physical reminder to God's people that he was with them. And so we celebrate the great desire of God to be with his people. He is not a God who's aloof. He's not a God who's uninvolved and unengaged with his people. He is intimately involved in the daily lives of his people. He is a God who came and a God who comes to his people. Over the next several weeks, we will be focusing on the with us nature of God. We'll celebrate the Advent truth that God is with us. And this is a, a truth that changes everything for the follower of Jesus. It changes everything today and for all of eternity. And during this series, we are going to ask the question, how do we experience the presence of God today? How do we experience the presence of God today? And so as we begin this morning, I want to start with another question. How close does God feel to you today? How close does God feel to you today? Now I imagine this question can be uncomfortable for some because we all want to experience the presence of God. We all want to feel God close to us. The reality is that we often go through our days not spotting God's presence with us. I used to be a part of a weekly prayer gathering in which we would start with a question. Any God sightings this week? Any God sightings this week? Now some weeks the list of God sightings was quite long. 
But other weeks, there was this collective realization that we had been so busy doing good things that our eyes failed to spot God in it. And so as I ask this question, I imagine most of us fall into one of three categories. For some, the decision to grow close to God is going to be a, a new thing. It's going to require a, a change in direction. It's going to require a, a spiritual course correction. Because somewhere in the past, we began to spiritually drift away from the vibrant relationship with God that we once knew. For others, it's going to be a season of discovery. Maybe you've never felt close to God, but you desperately want to have a relationship with him. For others, maybe your relationship with God is going great. And the closeness that you feel to him drives you even closer to him. Desire even greater intimacy with the prayer life to be even more personal. For you to be even more aware of his activity in and around you. Well, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, I encourage you and I challenge you, never become satisfied. Never become complacent. Always seek greater intimacy with God. After graduating from college, I worked for nine years as a public high school teacher. The summer after my first year of teaching, I met my sister in Europe where she was going to graduate school and we spent a month traveling together. One of my favorite memories of that trip was our time spent in the city of Rome. I especially enjoyed our time at the Vatican and, and especially spending the time in the, the Sistine Chapel. The Sistine Chapel has a, a painting on the ceiling that was painted by Michelangelo. I spent hours in there just looking at this painting. I walked out of there after a couple of hours with a very sore neck because I had been looking up for so long. Michelangelo spent four years painting this masterpiece. And I was especially drawn to the picture of, of God and Adam. Now, I know that this is a picture that's familiar to many of you. It's one of the most famous paintings ever. We know that God is spirit. We know that no artist could ever capture the glory and the majesty of God. Michelangelo is not trying to, to say that this is what God looks like. But he is conveying a, a message through this picture. He's making a point with this picture. You notice how God is making a great effort to extend towards Adam. He's extending that finger as far as he can. He even twists his body, trying to get as close to Adam as he possibly can. He is doing all that's within his power to reach out towards Adam. And Michelangelo is expressing a message in this. He's conveying that Adam is being offered life with God. Michelangelo wants to, to convey the message and express God's determination, God's great desire to be with the man that he's created. And so every muscle is extended. Every opportunity he has to reach is, is being made. But you notice that there's still a gap. There's still a space between them. God wants Adam to choose. God wants Adam to make a move. Now, Adam is a little bit more difficult to interpret his arm is just partially extended towards God. He's actually leaning back as if he doesn't really have an interest in connecting with God. Maybe he's expecting God to bridge the gap. Whatever the reason, we're left with the question of, will Adam make that move towards God? Will he bridge that gap towards God? Now, there's an old song, a, a, a hymn that I know is familiar to many of you. And it goes like this. This is my Father's world. He shines in all that's fair. 
In the wrestling grass I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. Scripture speaks to the presence of God everywhere. That he speaks to me everywhere. In Psalm 19 we read the words, The heavens are telling the glory of God. Day to day pours forth speech. In Scripture, God speaks through burning bushes. He speaks through Balaam's donkey. God communicates through storms and earthquakes, through dreams and through rainbows. To Elijah, God whispered in a still, small voice. See, the story of the Bible is not primarily a story of man's desire to be with God. The story of the Bible is primarily a story about God's great desire to be with people. There was a pastor who was seated on an airplane next to a businessman. He made the mistake of commenting on the picture on the businessman's screensaver on his computer. He asked, is that your son? The businessman's face lit up, and for the next 45 minutes, he told the pastor everything there was to know about his son. He paused just long enough to say, I can't wait to get home to him. The pastor said, you obviously miss your son. How long ago did you leave him? The businessman replied, yesterday. Why was this father so preoccupied with his son? Was it because his son was so especially gifted? Was he accomplished in, in some particular way? No. This 10-year-old son was, was actually just extraordinarily ordinary. And yet one day away from his son was one day too many. And so this father was rushing home so he could be with his son. He didn't want to love his son from a distance. He wanted to love his son and be with his son. As that story was being conveyed to me, the thought hit me. I'm the child on God's screensaver. And so are you. God is filled with wonder at the things that we say and the things that we do. Not because we do them better than anyone else. He's filled with wonder because he looks at them through the eyes of a father who loves and he's a father, he's a father who's rushing home to be with you and to be with me because one day spent apart is one day too many. God makes many promises in the Bible. The primary promise of the Bible is not that I will forgive your sins. The primary promise of the Bible is also not a promise of life after death. Now we are promised both of those things if we are followers of Jesus, but those are not the primary promise of the Bible. The primary promise, the most frequent promise of the Bible is, I will be with you. The Bible is all about life with God. It's about how God made this with life possible and will bring it to pass. Before Adam and Eve sinned, they experienced the presence of God as he took walks with him during the cool of the day. Enoch experienced God's presence as he walked with him. God promised his presence to Noah, to Abraham and Sarah, to Jacob and Joseph, to Moses and David, to Mary and Joseph, to Apostle Paul and to the disciples. And that promise gave them courage. <coughs> it says, do not be terrified, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. It allowed them to keep taking steps, one step forward at a time, even on their darkest days. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. God gave Israel the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant. 
He gave them manna and pillar of fire and pillar of cloud. And in each of these things, in each of these things, he's reminding them, I will be with you. When Jesus came to earth, he was called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Jesus left, he told his followers, I, will, I am always with you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. At the end of time, we're told God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. The unity of the Bible is discovered in the development of life with God as a reality on earth, centered in the person of Jesus. We want this, don't we? We want to experience the presence of God. We want to sense God with us. We want him with us in the good times, and we want him with us in the hard times. We want to know that he is attentive to us, that he is paying attention to us. Dallas Willard writes about when he was a young boy and his his mother died. Dallas loved his mom, and he, he missed her, and he was especially sad and lonely at nighttime. Sometimes he would walk into his father's bedroom and ask if he could sleep with him. But even then, even even when he got to sleep in the bed with his dad, he still couldn't fall asleep until he was certain that his dad's face was turned toward him. Daddy, is your face turned toward me now? Yes, son. You're not alone. I am with you. My face is turned towards you. When Dallas was confident of that, he could fall asleep. The thing is, I want to live like that too. I want to live knowing that God's face is turned toward me. I want to experience what the people of God experience as God's words to Aaron were said over them. God had Aaron say this to the people of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. One of the favorite things that I get to do as one of your pastors is to say those words over you. Because they speak the reality of of God's presence with us. Jacob and Esau were twin brothers. They were the sons of Isaac. They were grandsons of Abraham and Sarah. And one night Jacob was running away from Esau because Esau was trying to kill him because Jacob had cheated him. The Bible tells us that Jacob stopped for the night in a certain place. That's a Hebrew way of saying nowhere special. If you read that in the Old Testament, a certain place, it's talking about nowhere special. It's talking about Barstow. (laughs) That night, Jacob had a dream. In Jacob's dream, he saw a ladder resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And God said to Jacob, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I'm with you in will watch over you wherever you go. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Jacob became aware of God's presence in that place. The key phrase there is, and I was not aware of it. Apparently it's possible to be present with God without realizing that he's there. And so Jacob called that place Bethel which means house of God, the place where God is present. God changed that place from being a certain place, from being nowhere special place, to being the place where God was. In this Advent series, we are going to be focusing on the angel's words 
to Joseph. He will be called Emmanuel, God with us. We will focus on God's presence with us, God's presence with us today. Because it wasn't just to, in Bible times, to Bible people that God was present. God is with us today. And we will ask that question, how do we experience the presence of God today? And as a kid, I remember a song we used to sing, and don't worry, I won't sing it. The song was titled, We Are Climbing Jacob's Ladder. The thing is, that song's not quite right. It's not quite theologically right, because Jacob's ladder wasn't a ladder for humans to climb up. It was a ladder for God to climb down, to climb down to where we are. That's the story of God in the Sistine Chapel. And God continues to climb down. He comes down to your house, to your office, to your school, to your car. God is with us in the ordinary things of life. Now in the story of Jacob and Esau, Jacob eventually takes the risk of, of trying to reconcile with his brother. And to smooth things over with Esau, he sends ahead of him some, some gifts try to make Esau more receptive to their conversation. He sends hundreds of goats and hundreds of ewes. He sends dozens of cows and bulls and donkeys and camels, and he sends a cat. Actually, a cat's not in this story. A cat's not a biblical animal. Apparently, not even God likes cats. <laughs> After 20 years apart, Jacob and Esau see each other. Jacob wonders how Esau is going to respond. Last time they were together, Esau was trying to kill him. But this is what we read. Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him and they wept. After being enemies as kids, after 20 years of being separated, now they're brothers. And Jacob makes an amazing statement. He says, to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Once you've met God at Bethel, once you've experienced him in an ordinary moment, in an ordinary place, you never know where God's going to show up again. You never know where you're going to see him again. You might even see him in the face of somebody who's been your enemy for 20 years. You know, God shows up again and again in scripture. Again and again, he, he reveals his presence to his people. There's a story of Elisha and his servant who are in the city of Dothan, surrounded by Israel's enemies. And Elisha's servant is, is terrified. He says, what shall we do? Elisha's not afraid. He says, don't worry. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Imagine Elisha's servant looking around, wondering where those who are with us are hiding at that point. But then Elisha prays. He says, Lord, open his eyes so that he might see. And Elisha's eyes are open and he sees that they are surrounded by horses and chariots of fire. They're surrounded by the, the power and the protection of God. What if that was our reality today? What if in that, that moment when you are afraid, when you are nervous, when you're facing a challenge that you don't know how you're going to handle you realize that you are surrounded by the power and the protection of God. What if that becomes our reality today? And then there's a story of young Samuel who's serving in the temple. He's asleep one night and he hears his voice being called, his name being called out. He, he thinks it's the priest, Eli, so he goes running into Eli's room to see what he wants. 
It's not Eli who's been calling him, so Eli sends him back to bed. Two more times he hears his name called out. And finally, the third time that that he rushes into Eli's room, Eli realizes that this is God trying to speak to Samuel. He says, go back to your room. If you hear your name again, says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. What if God has been trying to speak to you? What if God has been calling your name and you weren't aware of it? And then there's a story of the two followers of Jesus who are on that road to Emmaus after the crucifixion. They're joined by a third man who happens to be Jesus, but they don't recognize him. They don't recognize him until Jesus prays over the meal that they are shared together, and then their eyes are opened. They say, weren't our hearts burning as he explained the scriptures to us? What if while we're on our way to school, while we're on our way to work or on our way to home, Jesus is walking with us. Now I think that many of us are familiar with those stories of God's presence with his people in scripture. But what about today? This Advent, as we journey together, we're going to be looking at how God expresses his presence with us, how Jesus is still Emmanuel. There was a guy by the name of Brother Lawrence who was a French monk, and he he served as a dishwasher in the kitchen. Brother Lawrence became dissatisfied with his life. He became worried, and especially worried about whether or not he was saved. And so he decided to make his life an experiment in practicing the presence of God. Now, Brother Lawrence never became well-known. He continued to work in the kitchen. But the people who knew Brother Lawrence saw something in them that caused them to want to know God the way that Brother Lawrence knew God. One of them wrote this, The good brother found God everywhere, as much while he was repairing shoes as while he was praying with the community. After Brother Lawrence died, his friends put together a book made up of his conversations and, and his letters. And that book is entitled, The Practice of the Presence of God. It's a series of of lessons in how to practice God's presence. And the book is, is thought to be the most widely read book of the last four centuries after the Bible. In it, Brother Lawrence speaks to the the fact that spiritual growth is, is primarily increasing our capacity to experience the presence of God. He says the most holy and necessary practice in our spiritual life is the presence of God. That means finding constant pleasure in his divine company, speaking humbly and lovingly with him in all seasons, at every moment, without limiting the conversation in any way. It's a short book. It's only about 60 pages long, but it's filled with simple and yet profound wisdom about how we can experience the presence of God. I encourage you to pick up a copy of this book, six bucks on Amazon, and read it along with this series as we are continually thinking about how do we practice the presence of God? How do we experience God in everyday life? Now, there are some people who seem to experience God and find God as easily as as others find their favorite app on their phone. The ultimate example of the person who was aware of God's presence minute by minute was Jesus himself. Jesus lived with the sense of his Father's presence. He was so dependent on God that he said everything he does is a result of God's power at work in him. And so as a result, stormy seas and hostile crowds could not bring fear to Jesus. So how do we do it? How do we live with a sense of God's presence? If the Bible is true, if God is truly with us, how do we experience that? 
When the Bible says that Joseph, that God was with Joseph in prison, what did that look like and how do we experience it today? Well, God can express his presence in an infinite variety of ways. He expresses his presence through creation, through other people, through scripture, through art, through solitude, through world events. And so my part in this is to continually learn to focus my attention on God. And so I think about him. I talk to him. I ask him questions. I tell him my plans. I pour out my heart. I complain about my problems. And I give thanks for those things that make me happy. So this week is what we can do. Here's what we can do. When you're at work and you begin to feel worry or anxiety building up, think about the greatness of God. God is big enough to handle your biggest problems. If you're faced with a temptation, be upfront with God about it. He already knows what you're facing. Ask him to, to show you the best escape route from that temptation and ask him to give you the courage and the boldness to take it. If you're facing challenges in your life, pour your heart out to God. He's waiting to hear from you. If you're happy and you're thankful, tell God about it and be specific. Jesus' expectation was that these unseen rivers of life would flow today, and they do. They flow in that house in Eastvale, in the office in Ontario, in the school in Chino. They can happen for the plumber and for the teacher and even for the pastor. They can even happen in Barstow. They can happen for the, the mother with five kids under the age of eight, for the patient in the hospital who's experiencing the valley of the shadow of death. It can happen for you. It can happen for me. I encourage you to join us over the next few weeks as we journey through Advent and discover how the Emmanuel who came still comes today. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for coming. Thank you that you are still with us today. Thank you that you are with us every moment of every day and that we can experience your presence in a multitude of ways. I pray that we would experience your presence each day of our lives, that we experience it each day and that we experience it in increasing measure. Give us that daily desire to seek you. We know that that gives you pleasure. It's because you are the with us God that you are with us and that we can be with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.